You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. This is the third time that we will be dipping into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Right, the last two weeks, uh, we've been uh, talking about spiritual gifts and how God blesses us with them, how God arranges us as the body of Christ with those spiritual gifts. And I appreciate uh, Pastor Blair last week as he unpacked the, the list of spiritual gifts. And uh, as he said, those spiritual gifts, the gifts given to us by God, by His grace, are able to be found in, in, in the center of, of the abilities that God has given us, the, the things that we have an affinity for, and the things that people affirm in our lives. And so as we, as a church, continue to grow in our gifts, Paul has a lot more to say to us. Uh, he has a lot more to say to the church in Corinth about using gifts and, and doing life together as a church. And so this morning, I wanna, we're going to take the, the rest of the chapter, of chapter 12. So let's read together, uh, starting in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. This is what it says. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if an ear would say, well, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If we were all a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with honor, with greater honor. And our less respectable members, we treat with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body. But the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer with, together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. 
And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Or do all interpret? But strive for the greater gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. This is the word of the Lord. I want you to remember back to your your high school biology classroom, if you can. Might be a few years back. In it, though, if it was anything like mine, there was an, an anatomy model of a human torso. Kind of like that. Right? Does that bring, bring to memory, you know, things from your high school years, right? And so you would find all the different organs that you would hope to find in any regular person in there. They would all be neatly labeled and they were colored and that you could take them out one by one and explore and get a general idea of how things fit inside you. All right, and if I remember correctly, though, by the time that I got to my grade 11 bio classroom, that poor legless person had misplaced his spleen, and the back of his lungs had some rather unsightly graffiti on them. The general, the general idea, though, was that it showed the parts of the body and how they all fit together, or how they were supposed to fit all together, and everything was very neat and tidy and labeled and organized, easy to understand. Now, a surgeon has, has a different view. He is well aware that when he were to, if, if he or she was to, to make an incision and open up the body to perform his surgery, his or her surgery, they wouldn't be greeted with a well-labeled, neatly organized cupboard full of organs. All right? It's not like a cupboard that you can just come, you know, pull, pull things out, put them back in, all that sort of thing. It's not, they would know, and it's easy for us, I think, to understand as well, that the body is, is not quite as neat and tidy as, as the model would make it out to be. <laughs> gives us an idea, and, and diagrams give us a good indication, perhaps, of how things are supposed to be. It gives us, perhaps, an ideal. This is what it, things should look like. But real life is, is a lot more messy. It's a lot less clean. When we read what Paul wrote to the church in chapter 12... We find a diagram of the body of Christ and how it should be operating. Sadly, though, that, that's not real life, though. That wasn't real life in Corinth, and that's probably not real life here in Lethbridge either. Instead of the eye welcoming the hand and, and saying that, oh, we should work together for the common good, we read the, of the rich people that were going ahead and eating way too much and, not, and they were ignoring the poor folks who had nothing to bring to the table. 
instead of the ear feeling empowered to use the gift of hearing alongside the eye's gift of sight, the spiritually elite were using the gift of tongues to make all the other folks who had other gifts feel like they had nothing to contribute. After Paul had re- has repeatedly, repeatedly reminded them, that, reminded the church that it is God who gives gifts to whomever he chooses, and it is God who arranges the body in a certain fashion, he writes these words in verses 22 to 27, and I want to read them again. On the contrary... So contrary to what he has just been saying, to what we have just read, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable or necessary. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members, they don't need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member. Why? So that there may be no dissension or division within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. There are parts of our body that we, we, we don't think about very often, right? That seem to be weaker or, or somehow less important, but these parts truly do keep us alive. Let's consider the spleen. You know, the, the, the torso, he was missing his spleen by the time I got to him. It's a poor guy. And I don't think about my spleen very often. You know, it's not really high on my list of priorities. Anyone else agree with that? You know, we, what does the spleen do? I didn't even know. But according to Google, because that is the source of all knowledge, the spleen filters and stores blood. So that's very handy. And it makes white blood cells and antibodies to help you fight off infection. So it's very important. Right? So the, the, the legless torso in my bio... 20 classroom did not have a spleen. It would take him or her a lot longer to fight off an infection. They could possibly die. So we need the spleen. We need our spleen. Actually, technically you don't. They can remove it and you can live, but it would take you a lot longer to get healthy again. But the spleen is important. God put it in there for a reason, and we need it, even though we don't think about it very often. In the same way, there are members of the church, people in, in the capital C church, you know, global big church, that, that seem to be unimportant or weaker. They seem to be that, and, and we don't think about them very often. But it's these people, Paul says, that are truly necessary, truly indispensable. And that phrase, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. That jumped out at me this last week and and truly would not let me go. (laughs) It it, it seems like such a a tidy little sentence, right? Oh, that's easy. That's nice. But but lived out in, in real life? Hmm. At the beginning of his letter, 
the first Corinthian, the, the letter, the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul reminds the church in Corinth of what they were when they were called by Christ. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. When Christ first chose these people and redeemed them, they, they weren't much to speak of. That's what Paul is saying. At least not according to the world. In their not-so-greatness, Paul preached and God's grace was shown to them in their weakness and a church was planted. It seems like it, it didn't take them very long, though, until they had ideas of aspiring to strength and power, of making themselves great in spite of their not-so-greatness. And that led to divisions in the church. We've learned about this as we've gone through this letter. There were the rich who didn't want to share with the poor. There were those that thought they had the best, the best of the best spiritual gifts that looked down upon the have-nots. And real life gets messy, even in the church. You would think that because this is the Bible, and that the Apostle Paul, he was a pretty amazing guy, that there might be a happy ending, and that the Corinthian church would repent and come to reflect the ideal of the body of Christ that Paul spells out in one of his other letters, in the letter to Ephesians, in chapter 4, 15, and 16. This is the ideal of the body of Christ that Paul has. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from the whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. Alas, it's not so. It's not to be. We skip ahead to the second letter, to the Corinthian church, which Paul probably wrote about a year after his first letter. And we would hope that by this time, you know, give them a year, they'll have things sorted out, and that Paul could encourage them. He would be happy. He would encourage them to continue to promote the body's growth as it builds itself up in love. But... Corinth seems to be plagued with the desire for hype and fog machines. And Paul is again forced to tell them that he is the real deal, a true apostle of Christ who brought them the true gospel, even though he didn't have a fog machine. He boasts to them not of his credentials, but about the hardships that he has been through. And he says in 2 Corinthians 11.30, if I must boast to you, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. He tells them of the, the thorn in his flesh. You might be familiar with that. It's kind of a, a passage that get talks, gets talked about a bit. And he calls this thorn a messenger of Satan, sent to torment him, to keep him from being too high and mighty. 
We don't know exactly what this is, what this thorn was in, him, in, in, his, in his body or in his mind or whatever, but it's evident that Paul is getting frustrated with it, with whatever ailment this is, because he, it, it's slowing him down. Paul tells the, the church in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 to 10, three times I appealed to the Lord about this, that it would leave me doesn't want to have this weakness in him. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities for the sake of Christ, who have nothing left. For whenever I am weak, then I am strong. This is what Paul was getting at when he said that the weaker members are indispensable. It's within the lives of the, the seemingly weaker people who have nothing left that the power of Christ dwells in. It's the people who seem to be, to be less honorable, to those who have, have less important gifts, whatever you might think that be, that are indispensable signposts pointing to God's amazing grace. When we are at the end of our rope, when we have no strength left, that's when God is strongest in us. That's when people don't see us anymore, but they see God's power made perfect in us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said, for theirs is the whole kingdom of heaven. There was a, a demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5. And he, he was the weakest member. He had never had honor shown him. He lived in a cemetery. And people had given up on him. They tried. They tried to clothe him. They even tried to, to contain him, to put chains on him. That didn't even work. So he's out there. It's because of that weakness that the power of God was so clearly shown in his life. Jesus came and he saw an indispensable person and healed him. And people were shocked at the transformation. People were afraid of the power of God that was displayed. Jesus tells him in Mark 5.19, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord, how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And so this man went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis, the group of cities around there, how much Jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed. 
Jesus came across the sea for the purpose of seeing this man as an indispensable person, loved by God. He cared for this man in his weakness and the power of Christ completely changed the whole neighborhood. If you skip ahead about a chapter in Mark chapter 6, Jesus comes to that similar spot. And instead of being greeted by one demon-possessed man, obviously that man had been doing what Jesus said and he was completely surrounded. People were excited to see him because that man had proclaimed the good news of Jesus. Look what happened to me. He can do it for you too. And Jesus comes back and he heals many people. What do we do with all this? What do we do with this? First of all, we repent of any thoughts of our own greatness that we might have. And we put to death any desires we have to seek our own power, our own gain, or our own honor. Then, as we humble ourselves, let us see the, the, the weaker people and give greater honor to them, to give greater honor to the inferior member of the body, that there may be no divisions in the church in the body of Christ, but that we may have the same care for one another. The same care for everyone. Caring for someone means getting really, really close to them. Proximity. How can you care for someone that's, that's halfway across the room? Close enough that you need to be close enough that you know their hurts and their struggles and their victories and that they need to know your pain, your brokenness, and your wins. Caring for someone in real life, it gets messy. It's not a tidy, labeled model of a human torso anymore. It's it's crying together and suffering together as the body of Christ. It's rejoicing in God's grace together as the body of Christ. Right at the end of chapter 12, Paul says to strive for the greater gifts. And I believe that showing the same care for one another is striving for the greater gifts. But here's what, here's what that means. Striving for the greater gifts means looking around and asking God, what gift would be most advantageous, what gift would be the most advantageous way to show God's grace to others? How could I best serve the church? What is the, the gift that is most necessary at this point in time? Those are the gifts we should be striving for as we care for one another. What gift would help the community the most? And then do that. Do that. That's the kind of gifts that we should be striving for.
I want us to remember that Jesus himself came and cared for us and that it got really messy. He lived amongst all sorts of sinners and he, and he chose weak people to be his disciples. People that were broken, people that were fishermen, uh, that, that, that was a tax collector, that was a zealot. And if you read up, probably the zealot didn't like the tax collector, but he, he chose them both. <laughs> they were weak, they were broken people. And he appeared weak when he gave up his life for us, but that's precisely the moment when God's great love showed itself most clearly. We remember that this morning as we take communion together. Together we come to Christ in our weakness and we allow his grace to strengthen us. His body, his blood, his grace, his power to strengthen us and to change us. This morning, if you have acknowledged that, <laughs> that you are weak and need God's power to work in you, if you have accepted Jesus' grace and forgiveness, then I encourage you, come forward to receive the cracker and the juice, and then we'll take communion together. Mm-hmm.